component to overall athletic development, and that is the mental side. And the mental side is really not, it's not there to replace any aspect of the other three, but rather it's there to help them get the most out of their physical, their technical, and their tactical. Welcome back to Moms in Baseball. This is episode 59, and I'm Stephanie. And I'm Diana. Today we are joined by guest Jay Toft. He's here to discuss how parents can help build confidence in their young athletes and to handle pressure. If you have seen your child struggle to perform because they lack confidence, you'll want to stick around and hear some advice from Jay. So Jay Toft is a mental performance expert from Denver, Colorado. He's the owner of PERC, which is P-E-R-C. Performance Excellence and Recovery Consulting. He has an MA in Sport and Performance Psychology and also has an active YouTube channel, Train with Perk. Welcome, Jay. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you both so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. I know it's not a small thing to, to jump on and talk to your people, but I'm, I'm really hoping that we can add quite a bit of value here in this conversation. So thank you both. Yes, absolutely. So first, we'd like to hear a little bit about your own story. Before you started working in sports psychology, did you play any baseball or any other sports as a child? Yeah, I was actually, I played basketball and baseball growing up and was recruited for some lower level college um, baseball, but quickly realized that, you know, I could get some some scholarship money for on the academic side of things. And just, you know, coming from small town, South Dakota, and where mom and dad were financially just made the most sense to to pursue that. Um, and I still stuck stuck it out or stayed involved in, in college sports, more so on the club side of things, but nothing terribly serious. But yeah, no, played, uh, played basketball and baseball growing up. When you say smaller level college ball, does that mean you started out like on the uh, official team and then moved to club or did you start out with club? And, and what do you mean by smaller level, like community college or? Yeah, no, I apologize. I was recruited, you know, kind of division two and division three baseball. Didn't end up going to play um, mostly just because I could get, you know, some scholarship money on the academic side to a division one school. Right. Um, so I didn't end up playing in college. I just went the academic side on, on the division one route. Gotcha. And I love how you say like division two or division three, like I don't think of that as smaller. <laughs> I guess maybe yeah. to me, like, you know, I've got quite a few clients that I work with that have gone on to play, you know, kind of big time division one baseball. So gotcha. for me, I'm, you know, maybe it's a humble thing um, being from the upper Midwest. I just, I, it's, it's certainly not like high level college baseball or anything like that. So gotcha. Well, it's still, it still is good job for you. Yeah. <laughs> We're impressed. You. We are impressed. Good job. Okay. Can you talk just a little bit about how you got started in sport, the sports psychology field and like what led you to starting your own consulting business? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, growing up playing sports um, and then being a little bit more involved on on the college side, just at the club level and kind of being around being around some other athletes. And I've, I had some friends, too, that went on and played um, some high level sport. And it's really, you know, there was always kind of this interest in sport. And then, you know, one day sat down in a, in a psych 101 course in college and a lot of it just really made sense. Um, but I also knew just, you know, in, in some self-awareness that I didn't really think that, you know, kind of the extreme mental health side of psychology was going to be for me. 
but ended up having had having a really good mentor. The professor that actually taught that class had brought up and I walked into his office and said, hey, you know, hey, listen, this this stuff makes a lot of sense. I'm really interested in it. And he, he looks at me and he goes, well, how do you feel about sports psychology? And I said, I have no idea that that was a thing. I um, had no idea that that was a thing or that was even an option. So he goes, why don't you go home? You know, went back to the dorm, looked into it um, and ended up buying. There's a there's a book that's about an inch and a half thick of all the sports psychology programs that were available at the time. Um, that led me to come out here to Denver, to the University of Denver, because it was the most applied program. You know, we, we did a lot of stuff. I mean, from day one, we were working with athletes and teams in some capacity out here um, in the Denver public school system and, and that sort of thing. So that led me out here to Denver. Um, that program led to another opportunity down at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. So um, while I was finishing up my MA, I was also working down there with those athletes. And this was in preparation for Rio in 2016. So wow. different um, Olympic training sites have different, um, whether they're a, they have different designations, whether they're a winter site or a summer site. The site in the springs, if anybody ever gets out here and wants to visit, um, they do do tours. Oh, see, I did that whole do-do thing like you did in the beginning of the, or in the, in the pre-show there. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> see, it's hard to avoid that. It is hard to avoid it. Um, yep. But no, anyway, that site down there is a summer training site. So um, was down there in preparation, like I said, for 2016 Rio was just a really really cool experience, really transformative for me. I mean, you're working with athletes at, you know, what, what many would consider to be the pinnacle of sport. And you're also working with, you know, some of the best minds in sport too. And, you know, the individuals that I got to work with in the field of sports psychology down there were just, I mean, they're just incredible. And one of the things that, you know, I had this sneaking suspicion on is, you know, we were doing all of this tremendous work. I mean, we're giving these athletes just incredibly high level psychological tools and, and the ability for them to adjust their physical and their mental state, you know, to make it more optimal for their ability to perform, you know, on demand. And my thought was, what if there was a way to do this or to provide the same information or these tools or these tactics to a younger population to more developing athletes, because I think it would surprise most people how many national team athletes make it to the Olympic training center without making any, you know, sort of investment in the mental side. But like most athletes, every single athlete kind of finds that wall or finds that ceiling where, you know, if they haven't worked on handling stress or pressure or the adversity that inevitably comes from their sport, that they find that pretty hard cap on their performance. And now some of these individuals, the ones that I was working with down there, obviously they're just I mean, just God-given talent, you know, like you, most people would never understand, but even right. those individuals, you know, there's a very fine line between an individual who makes a national team and, and an individual that qualifies for the Olympics. I mean, we're talking about oh, yeah. fractions of points or fractions of seconds. And many times for many of those athletes, it truly is the mental side that gets them over that hump. Mm -hmm. or that doesn't get them over that hump. And so then, you know, you kind of take that lesson and then you start to ask yourself, well, how many individuals didn't get a college scholarship or couldn't get the most out of their sport because of something on the mental side, because of a mental block that they ran into, or just an inability to handle stress or a lack of confidence or the inability to focus or whatever it may be. And so that led me to starting PERC, um, the practice out here in Denver. I've been doing that for about five years and the response has been tremendous. I mean, I've worked with, you know, roughly 15 youth sport organizations across all sports out here. Um, I see quite a few clients every single week. And then obviously recently, you know, starting the YouTube channel and starting to put more stuff out there online. But, you know, it's it's been really nice to see the response of parents of younger developing athletes, both recognizing that, 
you know, at some point, we're probably going to have to make an investment in our child's mental game. And if we do that a little bit sooner, maybe we can position them to be better equipped to handle that stress or handle that pressure or handle some of those walls or barriers that they're almost certainly going to come up against. Absolutely. That's great. And I'm curious, well, first of all, if you're working with Olympic athletes, I'm assuming that was in a, a several different sports, I would imagine, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the Summer Olympic training site down there is, it's where USA Swimming is housed, um, USA Wrestling down there, shooting, and so there was a, a few cycling kind of athletes down there as well. Okay. So with your current consulting business, is there like a sport or an age group that you see more often? So I would say probably 65% or 65 to 70% of my clients are what I would define as like developing athletes. So athletes that still have like their amateur status. So high youth, high school, college-aged athletes. I have several professionals that I work with, um, and then I have like one or two kind of national team kind of hopeful athletes that are on that path as well. And honestly, it would be easier to name a sport that I haven't worked with. I think that's the nice thing about, you know, mental performance is that, yes, there's every sport is different, but we all have a brain and many of our many of the issues that we run into um, are very similar. And so, you know, that's really kind of the fun part about my day is that, you know, like yesterday, I, I woke up and you know, had a client, one of my pro female soccer players over in Europe, and then transitioned to a 10 year old youth baseball player. And then I had a hockey goalie who was playing who's playing junior hockey in Canada. So it really provides a lot of diversity to my day. But my job is to really help them or help customize the training to both the individual, the individual athlete, as well as the individual demands of their sport. So for example, the work that I do with the junior hockey player who's a goalie is going to be fundamentally different than the than the soccer player and fundamentally different than the baseball player. But Absolutely. that's where kind of the, the science and the art comes into it. That's really interesting. Okay, gotcha. That's, yeah, very impressive because this is all new too. I mean, we've talked about it before and we've mentioned, you know, on many episodes that this mental game is is at the forefront sure. of baseball as well as the physical part. And so um, this is just all amazing and I'm so glad that we could have you come here. So let's get back to um, the main reason why you're here is uh, all of our listeners probably have dealt with putting our kids into batting, catching, or pitching lessons. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes yeah. to that game... Our kid is all over the place. So do you have any recommendations on on what to tell our parents to do to help build their kids' confidence or this mental toughness to help handle the pressure yeah. during the games? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it starts, I think probably one of the more powerful conversations that parents need to be able to, to have with themselves and with their athlete is, you know, really understanding what is actual, you know, complete athletic development look like? Because I think the majority of your audience, like the majority of the parents that I've, you know, come across, the majority of your audience, they spend a lot of times, a lot of time and energy and resources, you know, in funneling those resources into probably three areas of athletic development, which are, you know, the physical side. So whether they have a strength and conditioning coach or they have a workout program or whatever it may be. Um, So the physical side is one aspect of their athlete's development. Then, of course, you have the technical side, which for baseball is, you know, obviously you're throwing mechanics, your baseball swing, just the individual techniques that make up a sport. Um, And then there's obviously the tactical component, right? So this would, you know, some would call this like baseball IQ and understanding of the overall strategy and that sort of thing. And and obviously, depending on, you know, the age of the athlete, they're going to have much more exposure to to some than others. You know, obviously, we start with the physical and the technical 
And then as they get older, we start teaching them about strategy. But honestly, there's a fourth component to overall athletic development, and that is the mental side. And the mental side is really not there to not it's not there to replace any any of the any aspect of the other three, but rather it's there to help them get the most out of their physical, their technical, and their tactical training. So a really easy example for this is any parent who you know, they see their child working incredibly hard. They're really physically gifted or they've worked really hard in the weight room and they've worked a ton like with, let's say, a pitching coach or a hitting coach. So their technique is fine and they understand the game from a strategy standpoint. They've been playing it long enough to kind of understand the ins and the outs. But then yet when it comes time for a game, all of a sudden it doesn't really seem like they're able to get the most out of that ability. And that's a telltale sign or one of the telltale signs of the fact that maybe there's something on the mental side of their sport that hasn't been developed yet. And that's causing them to run into an issue. Confidence just happens to be one of those issues that that an athlete may run into. As you're talking, I keep thinking, I feel like in baseball, the 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 mental aspect of hitting in particular is like so much more mm-hmm. evident than it may be in other sports because sure. it's just people can get in these huge slumps. Um, and, and most of us know so much of that is related yeah. to the mental side. And I notice like with my own kids when they're going through hitting lessons, it's like they're getting the hitting lessons, but a, a good instructor is also, you know, and they're not trained in oh, this yeah. like you are, but they are right. trying to to work on situations and in kind of tap into that mental side as well. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious if if you may notice more people reaching out from baseball just because of that, like regarding to like hitting and mental blocks and getting yourself, you know, in the right mindset and using visualization and all of that. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's interesting, you know, the, the actual, the very first club that I worked with or sport club that I worked with coming out of grad school and the Olympic training center was actually a baseball organization. I've had a a very longstanding relationship with them out here in Denver. And yes, I mean, it's no surprise that, you know, I, I, I always seem to have one to maybe three baseball players that make up, you know, my, my weekly client load. And, and I think one of the things about baseball too, and I think it's, there's certain things about different sport cultures that maybe make them more open or more closed to the mental aspect of their sport. I think baseball, as far as team sports go, is probably one of the more sport cultures that are open and that have an understanding of truly the mental side of baseball. Because I think while baseball is very much a team sport, it's also very much an individual sport as well. Yeah. You know, there's a team right. component to it, but when a ground ball is hit at you, nobody's going to help you feel that ground ball like a football player who you need to tackle somebody. Well, you might have like five of your buddies that are coming with you to try and help tackle this guy. If the ground ball is hit to you or the fly ball is hit to you or you're in the batter's box, you are on your own, you know, likewise, if you're on the mound. So I think that certainly baseball is one of those sports where parents are much more quick in, in, in the culture itself amongst parents, players, and coaches is much more quick to recognize that, Hey, there's a very real mental component to this game as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious because the other thing that baseball players have that maybe is, I'm sure actually this is probably in other sports too, but since we're focused on baseball here, uh, they're so prone to superstitions. Sure. Sure. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on like how that could relate and, you know, how you see that tying into like the mental aspect of the game. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a great point. And I, I would start by saying there's a very clear difference between a routine 
and a superstition. And I think that there are many athletes who believe themselves to have a routine when in fact they have a, when in fact they have a superstition. So here's the difference between a routine and a superstition. Athletes control routines, superstitions control athletes. And here's what I mean by that. Okay. So if an athlete goes through, you know, let's say he taps his feet twice, um, in the batter's box where he taps the taps, the, you know, I had this thing when I was a baseball player, I'd tap each side of the plate. Right. And for me, that wasn't a superstition. That was more so a routine because even though I didn't know it at the time, it was, it was, it was a grounding technique. It allowed me to gain or, you know, place my attention in the moment. Right. So now that I found my focus, it's in the moment then I can redirect it on the pitcher and, and basically the specific window where the ball is coming from. That's fundamentally different than an athlete who thinks if I don't touch each side of the plate, I'm going to strike out this at bat or I'm not going to get a hit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yep. It absolutely does. I know uh, Xander, my oldest son, has, I don't know when he developed this, but at least within the last year, he has a routine where he kind of, he steps up to the plate and he like holds his bat up in front of him and he stares at it and he takes sure. like a really deep breath and then you kind of yep. watch his shoulders like drop and relax and then he steps up yep. there and he told me that he's looking at his bat and he's visualizing like hitting the ball mm-hmm. really hard, you know, in the sweet spot <laughs> yep. or whatever. And then, yep. but like I'm like, that. but he's centering himself. He's taking that exactly. breath. He's relaxing his shoulders. And and I love that. And I, especially when I compare that to uh, me, if I can remember that far, when I uh-huh. played high school softball, I was fine as a player in JV, but there was something like I just mentally struggled between JV, the jump from JV to varsity. Sure. And I like could sure. not hit in varsity. I could hit like crazy and batting practice but I remember in games I would walk up to the plate and be like how am I going to strike out this time (laughs) and it's like oh I wish I could go you know I I know I know it's that mental yeah that mental struggle it's it's all too common unfortunately you know it's all too common I mean I I would say this if I was going to identify like the telltale symptom of an athlete who needs to make an investment into the mental side of their sport it's the inability to translate practice to a game because inherently there's nothing different about the physical technical or tactical in the practice from a practice standpoint nothing changes when you go into a game however there is a significant change in maybe the level of stress an athlete feels or you know maybe they face some adversity at the in the past in the in those same situations so that is probably the hallmark card of an athlete that needs to find some way to make an investment, whether it's a book or a YouTube video or seeking out someone such as myself. If you're not able to translate practice to a game, that has almost nothing to do with any other aspect of your sport except the mental side. Yes, I totally, yeah, I totally agree about that too. I, I mean, I'm a big person on, you know, you practice, you do what you need to do just like the game. And so um, that totally makes sense about, about your yeah. mental health there. So we have always said this, that we totally appreciate that mental component, whether you're fighting back to to get back from an injury, slump in your batting, keeping your confidence mm-hmm. in pitching. But I just realized that my son did see a sports psychologist as a team. And this was okay. kind of way back when he was, oh gosh, I think 10. But mm-hmm. the, the most amazing thing I remember coming out of it is that he did have this extra confidence. But they also created like a vision board to help with their goals. Sure, and sure. and I think that really helped him so he could see kind of where he wanted to go and where, you know, it was attainable goals, not just like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, hit 500 home runs this season. It was actually something that could be attainable. And I, I really appreciated sure. that because it set that in his head. 
like, yeah, this is not just baseball. And like, yes, I'm having fun. And yes, I want to do something that's that's good and, and attainable. But it, it was actually something that he could visualize. So I did really appreciate that. Absolutely. Any recommendations for younger kids for this mental game? Yeah, for the parents or for the younger kids themselves? For younger kids themselves. Yeah, I think for younger kids, there's a few there's a few foundational pieces that we really want to be aware of. And I think this these are things that are, you know, I wouldn't say easy, um, but I, I would say that they're doable in terms of a parent's ability to kind of start installing these things um, into younger kids. I would say the first thing is the, what we would call in psychology, the locus of control, right? Now this goes into, you know, control the things that you can control, right? How many times have we seen that post on Instagram or whatever it is, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of validity to that. And I think one of the things that athletes, especially in the younger, it, it seems to be happening younger and younger is they seem to see themselves and this is how I describe it to them. It's like they see themselves as these grand puppet masters, as if they can abs- as if they have absolutely total control over the results that they get in their sport. And right. that obviously is completely illogical, but they don't see it that way, right? Like when they strike out or when they get a poor result or if their team doesn't win, so often we see athletes take this personally, take this as if that's my fault. Now, maybe, obviously, they have a role, they had a role to play in that result, but the totality of the result isn't in their control. Because, for example, an athlete that strikes out, I, w- I, I have conversations with baseball players all the time. Is striking out in your control? And I think, unfortunately, there are coaches out there that act as though this is true, that an athlete, whether an athlete strikes out or not, is completely in that athlete's control. And the fact of the matter is it isn't. Right? They have no control right. over whether or not they strike out. They don't control the pitch selection. They don't control the location. They don't control the umpire. They don't control anything. The only thing that they control is inherently themselves. And I think as parents, for you know all the moms that are listening to this, is to really start to reinforce and really try and you know create a radar for yourself with your child of that tries to scan for those moments when they're starting to place control over things that are outside of their control. Because inherently, the only thing, like I said, that they can control is themselves. They they, they can control the position that they put themselves in to have success, not success itself. So that would probably be. The, one of the bigger things. And again, what we're talking about here is how can we start to foster a really productive mindset in these young, in these young athletes. And right. at the end of the day, a mindset is not a mindset is not, you know, it's a, it's other than being a, a super flashy buzzword on social media, what a mindset really is, is it's nothing more than the patterned way that we think it's our thought habits. And many of the of the moms that are listening to this conversation probably have athletes that, you know, they're not good or bad. They're just productive or unproductive. Many of them may have athletes that just might have a few unproductive thought habits. And this tends to be one of the more common ones, this idea that results are completely in my control when they're not. Yeah. And I I think we've all been there and I think you're right. I don't want to say it's like maybe an immaturity thing, but especially with younger kids, a lot of times mm-hmm. they place like the very last thing that happened, like it's that yes. person's fault, whether we won or whether we lost and like forget yes. about the thousands of things that led up to that moment and happened. Yeah. But it was like, if yeah. you struck out to end the game or if you had the game winning, you know, whatever, but it's like, it's, it was all that it was all or nothing. And it was the last moment. And I feel like yeah. it's always kind of a struggle to help your kids kids see the big picture and especially when you said like you you mentioned earlier how baseball is a team sport but it's also an individual sport and so it's hard for for them to kind of navigate the difference between like what I as an individual did versus like what all my teammates did and what we did 
together that, you know, led to that end result. But yes. you're right. I absolutely noticed that in my own personal experience with my kids, especially when they were even younger. I have to say, I'm curious, before uh, we started talking to you, I just kind of did a last minute glance over of your YouTube videos. Yeah. And I've watched some of your videos, but I hadn't watched all of them, to be completely honest. And so I was just kind of... Oh, there's far too many for everybody to watch all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't expect that. Yeah. I was just glancing through the topics and the one that immediately yeah. kind of called out to me, and I feel like it could tie into what we're talking about today and it was the car ride home um, with parents because that's something that I have a lot of my own you know I'm not a oh yeah this is not my area now my husband's a psychologist he might have a lot that he could he would have to say about this for me personally you know I was a business major but I just have my own personal thoughts that may or may not be valid about car rides home you know, because a lot of this about what you're talking about and helping your kids feel confident is like yeah. what you can maybe help your kids do or what you can set them up with. But I feel mm-hmm. like the car ride home is something that like us as parents can change, like in our own behavior that might help For sure. affect our child's confidence levels. For sure. So I just wondered if you had any thoughts that you'd like to share to share on that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm probably going to end up spoiling the entire video here, so they're not even going to have to go back and watch it. But I think, <laughs> I, I think, the, and and honestly, I was I, I was surprised at how you know that that's probably one of my more popular videos on that channel. I think it has a little bit over a thousand views at this point. I don't, I do not have a very very large channel, so obviously, as you as you identified, it's a it's a pretty pretty polarizing topic. And I think the point that I tried to make in the video is if as a parent, you're tempted to on the car ride home to give a ton of feedback and to look for, you know, whether it's constructive criticism and you, and you might have the best intentions in, in, in mind. My advice for you about the speech on the car ride home is pretty simple. It's don't have one for a couple of different reasons. And the metaphor that I actually use in the video, and I'll share that now, is it's like, you know, it's like if, if one of you, um, so what's the, I need one of your day jobs. I need one of the, one of the day jobs for you guys. You said a business major? Uh, well, yeah, but I'm actually a special ed secretary. Special ed secretary. Okay. Fantastic. And, and what's the other day job? Oh, teaching. I'm teaching. A, Wonderful. I'm a substitute let's, teacher, let's go with, yep. let's go with substitute teaching. This is perfect. So let's say, for example, that you as a substitute teacher, you had just a horrible day, right? You did not, let's say that you had a horrible performance as a substitute teacher. Now this could look like, you know, maybe you, you know, botched the lesson plan or, you know, maybe mishandled the way that you handle the, handle the child or, many you know, times. for anybody out there and many times, right. You just yeah. mishandled it. It didn't go very well. And, you know, administration got involved or whatever it may be. Oh. So you've just had it, right. You're, you get in your car ride home and you've just had it. And let's say that then from that point, you call your significant other and, you're in, and you tell your significant other about what happens. How are you going to respond if that significant other just has all the feedback in the world for you? Well, you oh, should have done yeah. this right. Why didn't you? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you think about doing this? What were you doing in this moment? Like, what were you thinking? Is that the time to have that <laughs> no. conversation? No. He, no. And, and here's the thing: your significant other could have the best <laughs> intentions in the world. Right. He could, he, they, they could even be right. They could be a hundred percent correct about their feedback for you. Doesn't matter. It's right. not the time Absolutely. because you're emotionally charged in that moment. Uh-huh. And now we think about, but and and so and and yet 
it's ironic, isn't it, that we see we, any any adult would understand. Well, any self aware adult would understand that, like you know, that's probably not the time to. That's probably not the time to have that conversation because you know they're probably not in, in a place to be able to take that feedback, whatever it is. But yet, that's what we do to our kids all the time. That's the exact same position that we put our kid that we see so many children being put in all the time. And here's the thing, they don't have a fully developed brain. They have a fully developed emotional center of the brain, but they don't have a fully developed logical portion of the brain or a rational portion of the brain. So all they're seeing, all they're hearing or all they're perceiving when the person who you know they perceive is so important that they remain valuable to in the world, like there's nothing more important to a child or a few things more important to a young child than just making sure that they're that they're valuable or that their sense of self-worth does isn't taken away from their parents right but yet when you enter that situation or so many parents go into that situation and their child just lost they know that they had a bad performance they're you know they're they're feeling the entire spectrum of emotions and they're probably feeling them 10 times stronger than the average adult would because again fully developed emotional center of the brain not fully developed logical center of the brain and yet parents all the time, they have all the answers in the world in that moment. And whether you're right, whether you're wrong, whether it's a great point, whether it's a bad point, it's just simply not the time. Right. Because right. we wouldn't expect us, you wouldn't expect yourself to be able to, to, to perform well in that moment or to take anything productive from that moment. If you had a rough day at work and somebody jumped down your throat immediately about it. Well, that's exactly what we expect from our young kids. Why? That was the point of the video. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that, too. That was good. Uh, that's always like my goal and my husband's goal as well is to to mm -hmm. say absolutely nothing about the game. Um, yeah. I'm not going to say we're perfect at it because I guarantee we sure. should go ask my kid upstairs sure. right now. And sure. <laughs> sure. Right. He's going to be right. like, oh, that's your goal, really? But, <laughs> but um, generally... And, and honestly, I shouldn't say that if they if they had like a really good game and they're on a high and it's clear they want to talk about it, then we oh, talk yeah. about yeah, the game, course, you know, of course, but of course. like, um, you know, especially when it's a really bad day, like everybody knows, yeah. like, OK, just <laughs> where are we going to go yeah. eat? Let's not even talk about it. But based on what you said earlier, I was going to add, you know, I agree, like, obviously they're feeling it. They're they're feeling everything they did wrong and they're probably feeling it more than we are. But at least in my kid's case, I always feel like they're able to like bounce back. I don't want to say forget about it, but move on with right, their life like right. way quicker mm -hmm. than me or my husband sure. ever are. Like we're still like sure. in yes. a gloomy mood, like thinking about it. And they're, you know, they're on to the next thing. Like you expect them to, to sit there and like simmer or run yeah. it over in their mind forever. And like, I don't know, they're kids. Nope. They're just, they, they seem to handle well. it a lot better than we do. <laughs> And I Absolutely. think that honestly is probably, and I think I made this point in the video, I think that's honestly probably one of the things that really rubs certain parents the wrong way is yeah. because, oh, yeah. and, and honestly, I like the, the point that I made in the video and I'll make it now, if you're that parent who you're jumping on them or you're being very critical or you're offering advice because you're trying to solve the problem, I would really look the parent in the eye or ask the parent to look themselves in the mirror and, and say, who are you doing this for? Are you doing this for your kid, for your child? Are you doing this for your young athlete because of how you think they feel or are you doing it for how you feel or how you don't want to feel anymore? And I think if parents are honest with themselves at times, sometimes we're having that conversation because more of how we feel or how we don't want to feel than how our child is actually feeling. Right. Yes. 
100% yes. Yep. And this is just a funny thing I'm going to add. It's hard to explain because it's a visual. It's something my brother just sent me from TikTok. Um, (laughs) But I will share it in the show notes. It's from Mark Paul on TikTok. And it's more relating to the, because I guess the way I look at it, there's a car ride home and that's what everybody talks about. But then you also have the car ride to the game, Um, (laughs) you know, where where we may have our own things to say, and I'm not even going to say what I think you should or shouldn't do to, to talk right, to your kid on right. the way to the game. But it's it's funny because the dad in the video, he's like, he's kind of, he's all fired up and he's talking to his yeah. kid and he's like, yeah. he's like, I want you to go out there and I want you to be your best and be a leader and do what we practice, da, da, da. And he's like, he's real passionate. He's getting into this. And then you flashback yeah. to his kid and he's just laying back, like playing on his tablet and like not looking uh-huh. at his dad. <laughs> And I thought, oh my gosh, like we have all yeah. been there as parents, but we're so passionate about something and wanting to lecture our kid. And like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not getting through. No, not no, the time. No, and, and, and again, who is the dad in the video? Who's he doing that for? Is he doing yeah, that right. for his kiddo totally. or is he doing it for himself? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If people wanted to get in contact with you uh, to ask questions or maybe to look yeah. into some training, where's the best place for them to get in touch with you? Well, it would I think just send them to the website. So trainwithperk.com. Perk is P-E-R-C. And in fact, if they want, you know, some sort of free resource, um, you know, if they have a child who seems like they could use a boost kind of in their in their ability to mentally perform or they're having a harder time dealing with pressure. Um, I think it's worth a download. It's free. Um, it's trainwithperkperc.com slash free guide. That free guide is a great little, great little introductory um, kind of thing to to the mental side, to investing in the mental game. It's a it's a nice little booster shot for them. Um, it's it's a quick little ten minute read for for the athlete. Um, you know, it, it would work for any athlete, youth to college, really. Um, but it contains you know three easy to install little things that they that any athlete could use to immediately position themselves to be in a to be in a better spot to succeed going into their next performance. I mean, I built the thing with the idea of. If an athlete came into my office on a Thursday and they had something big coming up on on Monday, obviously it's not ideal, but what would the three things that I would have them work on? Those three things would be found in that guide. So that's a, that'd be a great little starter place for them. And then obviously you can contact me um, through the website and stuff like that too. So Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. We really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. We also want to mention that Jay is also in our Parents in Baseball Facebook group. So if you feel that you want to message him or comment on any of his posts, do that as well. And if you haven't already, it's our Facebook group is called Parents in Baseball. So feel free to join. Thanks so much for joining us, Jay. That was some great advice. We appreciate it. Yes, truly. Thank you guys so much for having me. If there's anything that your audience wanted us to cover that we didn't, um, we can definitely jump back on another call anytime. We'd love that. We'd love that. Yeah, this this might need to turn into a series. Like, seriously, the mental aspect is <laughs> is huge. It's coming out now, I think, with COVID and everybody's been, you know, uh, we're just not, we're not healthy. And so a mental aspect is definitely important. So we really appreciate this, Jay. Thank you. You bet. Thank you, guys. Um, in the meantime, you can keep up with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as Moms and Baseball. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your friends. Until next time. Have fun at the fields. We'll see you next week. And I guess I should give you a warning. Yep. I do, I do, I do do. I often do <laughs> a tiny bit of editing.